Donovan Mitchell may be traded. He may not be traded. And we have a lot of rumors to sort out. And that's why I brought in CIA agent Jason Lloyd to help us get to the bottom of what's going on here. Jason, how you doing? It's so hot in here. I'm in balmy, steamy Arizona. Need some water. It is 45 and sunny in Cleveland. We will take it. The Ultimate Cap Show starts right now. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Jason Lloyd, Mikey McNuggets, as always, on the Ultimate Cavs show. Jason, you're in Arizona. Let's just get it out of the way real quick. Is it perfect weather, and will you ever come back? Perfect. I mean, perfect. It's 80 and sunny every single day. It's phenomenal. I thought I might need some sunscreen today. Didn't spend a whole lot of time outside, though. Uh, it's been great. I got here Saturday. I am out Thursday around lunchtime. I'll be back on the show Friday. I'll be on set Friday. So it's been a good week, productive week. Got some good stuff coming. Awesome. Well, enjoy. Let's dive right into this. And we're going to spend the majority of the show kind of dissecting something I think is worth dissecting to the magnitude we're about to spend time on it. And it's the Donovan Mitchell trade rumors. Now, to take you back to set this all up over the weekend with All-Star Weekend being in place, the Ringer put out an article that said an Eastern Conference executive who wanted to remain anonymous said there's no chance Donovan Mitchell signs a long-term contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That was followed up the next day with an article from Sam Amico saying, not so fast, Donovan's happy in Cleveland, there's a good chance he does sign with the Cavaliers. Jason Lloyd, you were the first person last season to put out there that there's a chance Donovan may be interested in playing in New York, so you've been at the backbone of all of this. But when you see these conflicting reports and you see these I don't know if even conflicting is the right word. When you see reports saying one thing and then someone says the other thing and it's at the center of trade rumors, you always have to kind of take into consideration who's saying what, where's their information coming from, and what's the agenda behind it all. So I'll start with you on this and we'll continue to dissect it to what I think is a pretty basic end point that we'll, that we'll get to a conclusion of. But did anything you hear this weekend surprise you from what you've heard on your own since Donovan Mitchell became a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Yeah, so I mean, full disclosure, when Mike and I were talking about doing the show and he mentioned this, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm in Arizona and I've been locked in on Guardians and I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the NBA. And then he kind of brought me up to speed quickly. And this is the only thing I'll say on it. It's been out there all year. I haven't written about it because I've chosen not to write about it. I came close a couple of times. I came really close to writing it a couple times, and I just chose not to because what, they, they, they got it together. The Cavs got hot at the right time, just in time, to avoid some of this stuff. I had a column fully done on why the Cavs are going to have to look at at least explore the possibility of trading Donovan at the trade deadline, but thankfully I never published it. It never came to that. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, that smoke has been out there all year, and even after the Knicks – sort of made their big package deal and gave up a ton of picks uh, in their pre-deadline move, you know, then the talk sort of became the Nets. And, and you know, the feeling around the league is still for sure that Donovan is not going to be in Cleveland long-term. Absolutely. Does that make it true? I don't know. Because, I, I mean, I have a column ready to go if they advance at all in these playoffs of why it's good business for him to sign the extension and stay here. And people may be surprised to hear me say that because I've was early on in the, you know, Donovan wants out camp, but he, he's played the best basketball of his career here for two years now. This is a really good young team. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they're going to win a championship this year, but you know, when you talk about, we've talked about this on the show before, there's progressions to this. 
Absolutely. Last year they got in and they fell on their face and it was embarrassing and it was awful and it was inexcusable. Okay. So now you come back this year, you've got that experience behind you. Minimum, you have to make it the second round. Ideally, if you make it the conference finals, you can look at them and say, what else do you want? We've surrounded you with this young dynamic team of athletic playmakers. Like this is where are you going to go where you have a better situation than this? Sign the extension, at least give us next year. You at least buy next year out of it. And then you can revisit it almost on almost a year to year type basis. It's what he did in Utah. He signed the extension in Utah, and I think if you inject him with truth serum, he'll tell you he knew he wasn't going to finish that contract in Utah. But he got the most money he could uh, but because of the, the bird rights and the team that retains him. Now, if the Cavs did trade him, that team would also retain his bird rights. But I just think the Cavs can make a very compelling argument, and Donovan has to sit down and think about it, depending on how this postseason goes. And I've got a lot more to say on it, but I've spoke long enough. I'm going to shut up while you get it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you see these reports, whether it's about Donovan Mitchell, whether it's about Mikhail Bridges in Brooklyn, whether it's about any star in the league, take into consideration who's reporting it and who the source either on the record or anonymous is. In the case of Donovan Mitchell, for the sake of this discussion, from the Ringer report, it was an anonymous Eastern Conference executive. Well, yeah, don't you think another Eastern Conference rival would want Donovan Mitchell off the Cleveland Cavaliers? So, yeah, he's going to float that out there. You look at it from a local side. Everyone here locally, Chris Fedor, you talk to anyone in the Cavs organization. Donovan says all the right th- all the right things. He does all the right things. He's happy here. He wants to be a Cavalier. Well, the guys in the Cavaliers organization are going to want to present that information to their local media to put it out there. So whenever you see these kind of rumors in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the sport almost doesn't matter. Take into consideration who's giving the information, who's reporting the information. And a lot of times you can find the hidden agenda behind the message that's coming out. Two things I do want to point out, though. One, until there is any type of extension that is actually signed, I'm talking pen to paper, this is going to be a story whether we like it or not. It's not going away tomorrow. It's not going away at the end of the season, no matter how the Cavs do. Until there's pen to paper, this Donovan Mitchell trade talk, will he be traded? Does he want to stay in Cleveland? What should the Cavs do? It's going to be a topic of conversation because you have teams across the league in in major markets, just like the Lakers or the Brooklyn Nets or the Miami Heat. We're going to have a ton of assets this summer to go out and acquire a star. And Donovan Mitchell fits the archetype. I'm not saying him in particular, but coming up in the end of his contract, hasn't won big yet, may want to play in a major market, fits the archetype of what those teams will look for in a potential star. So his name's just going to be continually floated in these trade rumors, whether we like it or not. It's just how the business works. It generates clicks. It generates discussion. So it's not going to go away anytime soon, no matter what Donovan says. Donovan could come out tomorrow at a press conference and say, I want to sign a long-term deal in Cleveland. I love being a Cleveland Cavalier. I love Darius. I love Jared. I love Evan. I love JB. This is where I want to be until the day I retire. And the next day, ESPN will run a story on why Donovan Mitchell is a potential trade target for the Los Angeles Lakers as they get their third first-round pick back. So until Penn is to paper, this is going to be something we have to talk about It's just how the business works. And lastly, and I think this is the big point of all of this, Jason. If you disagree, please tell me you disagree. If the Cavs get bounced in the first round of the playoffs this season and Donovan decides this ain't it, he's probably out. If they make a deep run in the postseason, as to what you said earlier, the basketball situation in Cleveland is set up pretty perfectly for Donovan Mitchell right now. I'm not sure there's many situations across the league that he could step into and be in a better basketball situation to win and win immediately than he would be in Cleveland with the current roster as it's constructed. So 
We'll have these conversations until the ink is dry on an extension or some sort of deal if that's what it comes to. But I think a lot of it, and all these conversations are kind of null and void, despite the fact we have to have them, until we know the playoff result this year. That's going to determine everything in terms of Donovan Mitchell's future with the Cleveland organization. And guess what? Number one, if he does put pen to paper, it's still not going to stop it, guys. It'll delay it for a year or two, but it's not going to go away because, again, go back to Utah. That's what happened to Utah. He signed the extension and was traded anyway. And number two, I mean, Kawhi Leonard won a championship in Toronto and still bounced. Mm-hmm. So when a guy wants to go and when a guy wants to go to a particular place, he's going to go. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's why the point I keep making is Donovan Mitchell was sent here. He didn't ask to come here. He didn't choose Cleveland. He was sent here. Now, since he's been here, anyone who says he's done everything right is a thousand percent correct. He has. And I've written it multiple times. I've said on the show, I've actually really admired how Donovan has approached this, at least publicly, because he said all the right things. He's been an accountable leader. He's taken accountability when things don't go well. He's shouldered the blame. He's done. He set the professional leadership example that you want this organization to have he's checked every box and done everything right and for that if it is a situation he doesn't want to be him be in and he did that anyway full credit i applaud that guy for the way that he's handled it and if the time comes and he has the opportunity to go where he wants to go that's the way the system works and, and you have to respect that when that time comes uh, so you know i just think it's important that no matter what happens what got what a guy wants to do is is ultimately what he's going to do when he gets the chance uh, but until – I agree with your point that we have to see what happens this summer. I think it's going to play a long way into it. If they lose in the first round, there's a lot of people getting fired, and he's probably out. Uh, if they advance even the second round, I think they can make a compelling case why he needs to stay, why he should stay. And then we'll see. But I'm not really interested anymore in what he says, what the reports are. The only thing I would say about what you said earlier about agendas, and that's true. It's absolutely true. But to me, the publication matters more than the Eastern Conference source. If it's Shams put it, and I don't know who at the Ringer wrote it. I, I don't know. I didn't pretty sure it's Kevin O'Connor. I could be. I'll, I'll double check it. He was okay. KSD, who's, who's so pretty if, good. If Shams puts something out that an Eastern Conference executive said something, it's treated as gospel. If Skippy McSkipper Shorts on iloveNBA.com blog puts something out, nobody pays attention to it. So it's more... I think it's more the platform matters more than the source in a lot of instances. Uh, obviously, the ringer is very reputable. So, and and I, I would just tell you that I've heard from Eastern Conference and Western Conference people. He gone. Like, he does not want to be there. Now, the only thing you can juxtapose that with is how he behaves. And he's done everything right. He said all the right things. So, we'll see. Time will tell. I think the Cavs knew this was coming when they made the deal. That's why they tried to temper expectations last year, and they kept saying there's a long runway here, and this is not a win now. We have to win immediately, move. We have time on this. Well, they do, but they don't. They really had a two-year window here before all this stuff started, and now we'll see what happens. And I do want to double down on something you said about Donovan Mitchell being the model player and citizen here in Cleveland. If you talk to anyone on the Cavs staff, Jason, you're way more connected than I am, but I've got to know a few of the guys on the, on the staff one way or another. They don't have a single bad word to say about Donovan. And it's yeah. that's not the case. Trust me, speaking to enough guys across the league, that's not the case about a lot of players and especially a lot of stars. He's handled himself as an A-class citizen, an A-class teammate, an A-class player on the court, and an A-class person to everyone else in that organization. And I'm talking from the top, from Kobe Altman, 
down to the guys who work security, helping guys usher to the seats. Donovan Mitchell has done everything you could have asked for and then some in Cleveland. And if it doesn't work out and he decides he wants to go elsewhere, I don't think it's because he didn't like Cleveland or the Cavs did something wrong or mismanaged some part of the situation. I think it'll be a situation where he always dreamed of playing in X city or playing with X player or playing in some sort of market that Cleveland just frankly can't offer. So we'll see what happens. All this is speculation until any type of deal is done. Contract is signed, but I do think it is important when you see these reports, especially at a, a gathering like All-Star Weekend. Jason, you set the NBA world on fire two years ago in Cleveland with the LeBron May still coming back <laughs> to Cleveland report. So, like, this is where all that cu- kind of stuff comes out. But I do think mm-hmm. it is important to get to the bottom of where the information is coming from, who's saying yeah. what, and, and yeah. really understand – kind of what's going on behind the scenes. You can't take all this stuff at face value. We know players, coaches, GMs, scouts, you know, assistants, they, they leak information for a certain reason. There's usually a part and agenda attached to it. So I do think it's important just to keep that in mind, whether you see something about Donovan Mitchell, whether it's DeJounte Murray in Atlanta who fits that same mold of a guy who could get traded this offseason. He's not the same caliber of player as Donovan is by any chance, but he's in that three first round pick categories. So the story's not going away. We'll address it when needed. But after those reports the last couple of days, I thought it was important to come on here and try to at least give some context behind the initial reports that we had seen come out of all-star weekend. Yeah. I I think uh, there's nothing else to say on it. We'll wait and see what happens this summer. Beautiful. We're going to take our first break here. And the breaks on Ultimate Cap Show are literally 10 seconds because all I have to do is tell you on Thursday, it's the Ultimate 216 Show with Earl at 5 o'clock. Make sure you tune in to that. Jason, let's get to the second topic on our rundown today. Expectations for the second half of the Cavs season. We talked about it on UCSS today. The one thing you wanted to see from JB. I don't think you had a chance to tune in, but the one thing I want to see from JB Bickerstaff is we know four of the five guys will be in their crunch time lineup. Who will be the fifth and how JB kind of messes around and plays to see whether it's Isaac Okoro, Max Struess, Dean Wade, George Niang, Sam Merrill, Levert. Who fits best into that fifth spot? In your opinion, what's uh, what's one thing you want to particularly watch from JB Bickerstaff down these final 29 games, the second half of the season, the backstretch, whatever you want to call it? What's one thing in particular you'll be watching to see how the Cavs kind of figure out before the playoffs? I want to see the Cavs play left-handed, and I want to see what they do when their go-to is taken away because nobody runs a ton of plays anymore. I was having a really interesting conversation today uh, with somebody in the league, just about like the all-star debacle and what do you do to fix it? And da, 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 da. And it became this, I mean, it was a fascinating 20 minute conversation I had that went back 20 plus years, even before, because I made the point that Adam Silver, and I'm going to come back around to your question, Adam Silver bends the players too much. And this is what happens when you give the players full control over the league, everyone stops playing. And the point that was made to me is this predates him. This goes all the way back to David Stern and Jerry Colangelo changing the defensive rules. And I think it was 2001. And this is just a culmination of, of all of that. And it's just the progression and the snowball getting bigger and bigger to the point now where players sort of call the shots on the floor and, and the Warriors really changed the way that everyone played basketball. And now nobody really runs sets anymore. They don't run a ton of plays and the Cavs fall into that and being a heavy pick-and-roll team and just pass to the open guy and get a good shot. And I want to see what they do. And it goes back to the conversation we had 
uh, the game that you were at, Mike, that I didn't even notice. It was a great call by you when Darius waved off Donovan and hit the step back three to win the game. I love that. I love it because that's – I don't want to see the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands at the end of every single close game. That serves no purpose. In, in February, March, and April, that does you no good in April, May, and June when the ball is only in Donovan's hands because guess what? Defenses are going to load everything toward Donovan and get the ball out of his hands, and then what are you going to do if all yep. you have done from October to April is give it to Donovan and get the hell out of the way and wait for Donovan to go do something? That's not how you play winning basketball in the postseason. I want to see Darius and Evan run something at the end of a game, some two-man action at the end of a game to get a good look. I want to see who the trigger man is. We talk yeah. the the yeah. the um, uh, after timeout plays are so ATOs are so important in playoff basketball. JB struggled with the postseason last year, no doubt about it. I would also argue, and I made this argument a thousand times. What did you expect him to do? They had no shooting. Well, that's not an excuse anymore. So, what are you drawing up? Whether it's a twelve-zero run and you're on the road and the crowd is rocking and it's the third quarter and you need to settle everything down and you got to have a bucket or whether it's a one point game and three seconds left and you got to side out and you got to come up with something to get you a basket. What are you drawing up? Who's your trigger, man? It is so important. You know this, Mike, who you have inbounding the ball is it's so overlooked. And yet it is so critically important when the Cavs had Mike Miller, he was the trigger man because they loved how smart he was in decision-making and nowhere to go with the ball and how to get it to guys Who's your trigger man in those moments? It's the little things that a lot of people probably don't pay a lot of attention to, but that's what I want to see the rest of the ways. How do you play left-handed? Who are you going to? Don't just give it to Donovan. Get out of his way. Is there a dribble handoff action you can go to instead of just going pick and roll on everything when you know in the yeah. playoffs they're going to blitz pick and rolls. They're going to send two defenders to the ball handler, and now it's and now it's a fire drill. That's not how you play winning basketball in the postseason. So that's a really long answer to what I want to see. Well, it, it hit on a lot of things, and like the real answer is I want to see can Isaac Okoro and Evan Mobley make shots in the playoffs. Unfortunately, we won't yeah. know that until the playoffs, so we can't right. get a, a feel of that. I agree with you. Who's the trigger man? Who are the – I'm curious to see if JB will be concrete in his end-of-game rotations or if he'll be flexible based on matchups. Because I think – I think he'll be matchup flexible. I hope so. Yeah. I think that's their yeah. best path. I, I think that's what they should do. Um, we'll see how it how it happens, and I do think there are a couple matchups in the Eastern Conference that bode very well in their favor. And I think on the flip side, against specifically Boston and New York with their supersized front courts, they're going to have to adjust on the flip side to try and get a little defensive. We'll talk about that closer to the playoffs when that comes. But one other thing I want to keep an eye on is, to your point, we know when Donovan has the ball, he can get to the basket, he can create for himself and create for others. It, he's spectacular at that, but. In the postseason, we saw it last year in the Knicks series. When you game plan, game in and game out for a specific team, and you know their tendencies as well as you do in the playoffs, it comes down to options two and three. And what are the wrinkles off this pick and roll two-headed monster with Garland and Mitchell that you'll kind of implement now to get Struess open on the back end or get Merrill or Niang yep. or Wade or Akura, whoever yep. it is. And they've done a few. I, I tweeted one out a couple of weeks ago. I'll have to go find it and put it back out there. But They've run a few plays where, and this is this was in the 18-game stretch without Garland and Mobley. So um, they're not in these lineups because they're hurt. This, this is not like a they should play, not whatever. But they ran a high pick and roll with Mitchell and, and Allen. And on the backside, they had Struess set a back screen for Niang, and Niang flared. And I'll put the video in. Jason, we actually might be able to use video, by the way. We have a call with the NBA tomorrow about maybe a video on this show. So 
if this happens, I'll, I'll bring this up next week. But like little little wrinkles like that, just to get a bucket when you need it, or have a, to get a good look in a in a crunch time situation or a situation where you need to stop a run, being able to set that up and execute. It's something that's easy to draw up. It's a lot harder to actually put into practice with the pressure of a playoff game, knowing you're down eight, need a bucket, or knowing opponent X is on a 6-0 run. You got to cut off the momentum. So I'm excited and curious to see how they handle that down the stretch. We're going to talk about two more things real quick, and then we got two fan questions at least we got to get to. But as always, tomorrow, 11 a.m., the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Thursday, Ultimate 216 with Earl at 5 o'clock, Ultimate Brown Show with G on Friday. Make sure you guys tune in. And also, if you can't watch, you just want to listen, we are available in podcast form as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Jason, real quick on Sam Merrill. You talked about the All-Star Weekend being a disaster. Before we talk about buyout targets, because I know we're going to spend a few minutes on that, do you think if Sam Money Merrill, not Donovan Mitchell wearing Sam Money Merrill's jersey, but Sam Money Merrill, the actual Sam Money Merrill, was in the three-point shootout, he could have beaten Dame Lillard and Carl Anthony Towns and Trey Young, who I believe were the three finalists. Dame won it. Yeah, Sam I think he could have. I think he could have, yeah. But I'm glad he wasn't in it because at least the three-point contest actually does have the stars of the game. I know Mac LeCung's your guy. Plug your ears on this. It's embarrassing that he's won it in back-to-back years. It's embarrassing that guy. I agree. That guy, him, guy who's not even in the league. He's not even one of the best 450 players in the world. You can go out to playgrounds in New York and Chicago and L.A., and you can find guys who can dunk and win a dunk contest. But that's not what this is. This is supposed to be the all-star weekend stars of the game. And when you've got a dude who's not even good enough to be one of the 450 best players in the game winning the dunk contest in back-to-back years because nobody else will sign up, that's embarrassing. Stan Merrill. Love the guy. He's been a great story this year. He is not worthy of being in the three-point contest at All-Star Weekend. Sorry, Cavs fans. He's not. He hasn't been in the league long enough. He hasn't earned it. So to have Dame Lillard in it, to have Donovan in it, to have Cat in it, those are the dudes that should be in it. And the, the caliber equal to them in dunking is who should be in the dunk contest. It's embarrassing and pitiful and a shame that the dunk contest has turned into what it has. So I'm glad Sam was not in the three-point contest. We spent a ton of time Monday trying to fix the All-Star game, which is why I didn't want to get back into it today per se. Jason, just I want to let you know before I disagree with your Merrill take wholeheartedly, uh, my <laughs> suggestion to fix the dunk contest was have regular Joes dunk on an eight-and-a-half-foot rim and have their NBA counterpart have to do it on an 11-foot rim. If the NBA player can't match the regular Joe on an eight-foot rim versus an 11-foot rim, the Joe wins. So it's not NBA player versus NBA player. It's each team has a Cleveland rep. And then someone on Cleveland has to – so it could be whoever they want. G League can be a Monty Bates. I don't care. Monty Ace has to do it on an 11-foot rim, what Earl Malden has to do on an 8.5-foot rim. For the three-point shootout to make it even better, Jason, I want a pass instead of a rack. Everyone is a pass, and you have a closeout. And the player who closes out gets taller and taller each time. So the first closeout guy is like 5'5". Five, five. The fifth shot, the money ball, you got like a 6'8 guy closing out on each shot. That's how you make it better. Here's why Sam Merrill could have and should have been in the three-point contest, Jason, because – you talk about the stars of dunking. I do agree they should be NBA caliber players. But let's be honest. A guy like Derek Jones, who I'm not, I think he's been in the dunk contest before, is an mm-hmm. incredible dunker, not necessarily a great overall basketball player. If we're getting the best basketball players, you get your Jaws and your Zions and players like that. But I do agree. And Mac's my boy. Mac, we go back. I did the first interview with Mac when he committed to Rutgers. Before he decommitted, committed to Georgetown. Uh, fun Mac story. His little brother's name Cam. Why? Because his parents asked him, what do you want to name your brother? 
He said, Cam. They go, why Cam? He goes, that's Mac backwards. That's why his little brother's name's Cam. Mac's my that's dude. Awesome. Great family. Mac's awesome. But as cool as it was last year, it is a bit of a, a sham that a guy in the G League is winning the NBA dunk contest. There should just be a G League dunk contest, and Mac can win it 35 years in a row. Mac's my yeah. guy. But here's why Sam Merrill should have been in the three-point contest, Jason. This season, he is shooting at an all-time high volume per 36 minutes and an all-time high efficiency per 36 minutes. I understand the star power in the three-point shootout is cool and all. Don't get me wrong. But we're talking about the best three-point shooters in the NBA. Sam Merrill not only has the statistics to back it up, he has the historical resume to back it up, and he's not a name brand like your Dame Lillard's, but neither is Malik Beasley. Like, get, If you want to go 10 stars or all stars, sure. I'll give you if you want them all, but you can't sprinkle in a Malik Beasley and tell me Sam Merrill isn't worthy of being in the three-point shootout. He's averaging 14.4 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. That's the highest volume ever in the history of the NBA. This isn't top 10. This isn't top three. This is one. This is ahead of Steph Curry. And Steph Curry has like 14.2. He's like just behind him. But Merrill's shooting a better percentage on that volume. He should have been in the three-point contest. I think he would have won the three-point contest. We'll never know, so you can't tell me I'm wrong. So, Sam, if you have been in, I would have bet my entire life savings. I'd be rich as hell right now. <laughs> but you didn't. And you're still my uh, you're still my favorite guy in the Cavs. But it was disappointing to see that Donovan with Sam on his back uh, didn't perform a little better. He wasn't bad, but obviously didn't make the finals. And I just wanted to see Sam in there. Am I a homer? Yeah. Do I think he could have won? Yeah, I do think adding closeouts and passes, Jason, will be a fun-ass element to add to the three-point shootout and would just make it even more of the best event in All-Star Weekend. But uh, that's my two cents. We got to spend a few minutes hey, on bio, guys. So I, I real quick, to- I'm ter- I'm terrified of where this podcast is going to go this summer when your mind has all of this time to just <laughs> unleash because some of the stuff that you come up with is staggering. And you cut me a little bit with the Beasley thing. That was a good. That was a good counterpunch. Uh, I would tell you Beasley's been in the league seven or eight years. Merrill's been in the league seven or eight minutes. So Malik, got her, got her. Malik Beasley, I also met when he was like fifteen because he went to my ex girlfriend's high school where her mom was a guidance counselor. He played with Kobe Simmons at uh, Saint Marietta High School down in Georgia. Whatever, doesn't matter. Sam Merrill should have been in there. All right, buyout guys, Jason. The Cavs have been reportedly not interested in bringing in a buyout veteran guy. Chris Fedor reported that. A lot of the guys on the buyout market want some sort of guaranteed role, and the Cavs aren't willing to offer a guaranteed spot in their rotation because they like their depth. Do you agree with that premise if what Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com is reporting is true, that the Cavs feel confident in their depth, they don't want to guarantee a roster spot and cut someone they're currently playing out? Do you agree with that premise before we get into specific buyout guys? Yeah, there's there's nobody on the market who's better – than their top 10 in their rotation right now. So that would be foolish and rash to do. There are There's a name or two that I like that I think would be good fits here in a break glass of an emergency type situation. Who do you like? Um, but if I like I like Joe Harris as, as a veteran guy who was here before, terrific shooter. He's had a ton of injuries. I'd love to see Joe come back as just another shooting weapon option off the bench. Uh, if, if injuries strike, you never know. I, I mean, oh, God, who was it that played – a pivotal minute and a half role in the finals the year the Cavs won. And I can't believe I forgot his name. It just fell out of my head. And the 2016 finals, they put him in for a minute and a half. At the end if of the you're second the chat, drop, drop the name in there. Cause I, if I close out a stream, I, I was going to, yeah, drop I it in the totally chat. I totally forget. But I mean, it was a nobody that they picked up at toward the end of the season. And 
and he played a minute and a half and like helped turn the game around in a finals game. So you just never know with, with some of these veterans where they're going to come back Jones. to. Dante Jones. Yes, yes, yeah. that's it. Whoever you were, congratulations. That's that exactly Ian, what I couldn't Ian think and of. Evan 419 with a Dante Jones drop. Attaboy, attaboy, Evan, because, yeah, I his name totally fell out of my head. That's how memorable he was. But he had a minute and a half there at the end of the second quarter, I think it was, on Draymond, where he turned a game around. Mm-hmm. And with these veterans like that, you just don't know. So if Joe was available and Joe wanted to come back, I'd bring Joe back as a shooter yeah. off the bench, get him healthy a little bit. Just one more option out there. Uh, I think that they really what they need, I think, is another ball handler. I just think they're a little thin. They've never really had a backup point guard this year because of the Jerome injury, because of the Rubio situation. They've made do with what they have. They've got two really good ones, obviously, who can create in Donovan and Darius. But I, I just think it is, again, we're, we're talking emergency options. It's one of those guys goes down. Uh, I just I, I know everyone's going to say you got Craig Porter. Okay, you don't want to play Craig Porter as great of a story as he's been. No, you don't want to play Craig Porter Jr. in a conference semifinal or conference final. Like that's a really bad situation if you're in that spot. So just, but no, there's no one great out there that I've seen that fits that as a veteran ball handler. So if they stand pat, then it's not the end of the world uh, because the the top ten that they've got right now pretty good, and that's not even counting Tristan. When Tristan. Uh, I'm calling it a top 11 because I'm I'm including Tristan Thompson in that category. I, I agree with the general premise that you can't guarantee someone a roster spot, which then makes Cleveland a less attractive destination than some of the other buyout teams, theoretically speaking. But you could never predict injuries, and that's why I'd be totally fine and it would actually encourage the Cavs to go out and bring in a Joe Harris or a Seth Curry if he hits the buyout yeah. market from Charlotte. Yeah. He could be another, another ball handler, a shooter. You never know when one of these guys can step in hit three threes in a two-minute stretch in the game because Darius Garland's in foul trouble or Isaac Okoro got two quick fouls and needs shooting. So a Joe Harris, a yep. Seth Curry, someone who could shoot. I If they want to come and they're okay, potentially playing in two out of seven playoff games, that that's what you have to sell them. I don't think I'd, I'd sacrifice anyone in the top 10, top 11 of the yeah. rotation now for someone out there because the guys in the buyout market at best are, are just – lateral moves to what you have i like seth curry i think on a lot of teams he'd be a great fit but he's a tiny guard and with darius and donovan already it you can't play all three of those that's a defensive nightmare so yes uh, yes. harris is near the top of my list i like seth curry a lot there's a few other guys i thought kyle lowry would be a good fit he's obviously signed with agreed uh, and and that's the deal with a lot of these i know we're almost out of time that's why with a lot of these it's 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 pre-done before they're even released. Yeah. They happened last year with Kevin Love. Kevin knew he was going to Miami before Cleveland even released him. So a lot of these deals are already arranged before they're even cut. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. If they make a buyout move, I think we'd be in favor of it. It never hurts to have that extra depth piece, but I don't think they are desperate or there's anyone out there that makes a ton of sense. I did like Gallinari, who said he contemplated Cleveland before signing with Milwaukee. I thought size-wise and shooting, he would have been a nice fit, yep. but... He's off the sure. board. He was my number one target. He's gone. What are you going to do? Jason, let's try to get two or three fan questions in here while we can. You already answered Evan 419's first question. Rob Cunningham says, since the drafting of LeBron, I've noticed national media gives the impression they don't think Cleveland deserves a top player. I never noticed that with other small markets. Uh, Buckeye no, Brown says, true. maybe we make the conference finals if we keep playing like this. Uh, Chris Firestone does have a question. The team is playing well with rotating eight, nine guys. Why does it go down to seven in the playoffs? Jason, you want to answer that one? Because your seventh guy is better than your ninth guy. And multiple days off in between games, you can go get heavier minutes on guys. And it's just the deeper you get, the tighter your rotation gets. So in the first round, 
you might be able to play nine and you're really playing eight and that ninth guy is getting like six or seven minutes. And then the deeper you go, by the time you get, if you make the finals, a lot of times you're playing seven and that's it. Because there's a reason your guy's the eighth and ninth guy and not your sixth or seventh guy, because you may like him, but the other guy's better. And that's why he's ahead of him in the rotation. And a lot of times you could play seven, eight, nine guys in the regular season. Two or three of those guys just fall off, can't make shots in the postseason. So that's why the rotation. That's true. That's well. true. And, and the multiple days off is really important too. The extra yeah. days of rest allows guys to go heavier minutes. Kenneth Smith says, isn't it probable that two big lineups that have worked forever still works for championships today, especially since finding enough shooters that play defense is actually uh, extremely rare? It could happen. It just hasn't happened. And with all the space, pace and space, a guy like Evan Mobley, that's why he's so valuable because he can kind of make up for uh, – he can guard guys who can shoot but also play a big. Uh, Evan419, real quick, Jason, do you think Kobe regrets the Kevin Love move? No, we don't have enough time to get in the whole Kevin thing. Uh, that We could do a whole show on that. I don't think they regret it, though. And Dean, Dean Wade this year is playing like they thought he would play last year. At like That's the whole reason they moved on from Kevin, because they thought Dean would take those minutes, and Dean was atrocious last year. And this year he's playing better. I don't think they regret it. Last one, any updates on Luke Travers? Uh, he's not coming over this <laughs> season. So, listen, I love Luke Travers. He was awesome in the summer league. He has great hair. I think at some point he will – I do believe he will contribute to the Cavs, but he is not coming over this season. I just love the random – I love these random – yeah, like if Luke Travers plays heavy minutes ever for the Cavs, I'd be shocked. But, hey, <laughs> he has who great knows? anything's possible. Great, great hair, though. So, he does have great hair. Uh, we'll see. Cavs tip off the second half of their season Thursday night against Orlando. A couple big-time games coming up. Make sure to head over to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Check them out if you do. Download the Game Time app, promo code Locked On for $20 off. For Jason Lloyd, I'm Mikey McNuggets. This is the Ultimate Cavs Show. We'll see you all next week for this, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. Peace.